Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Putting the ain't in saint, you're listening to Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show. And now here's your host, Drew Marshall. Never ever thinking there was danger in the water they were drinking, they just guzzled it down. Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse was watching them and gathering around. Robin Hood and Little John running. <laughs> I'm sorry, but every time I think of fences, a friar, I think of. Robin Hood and Friar Tuck. Of course, that's what we all think when we hear Friar. But you're going you're gonna to think a lot more after this interview. Friar, now, by the way, I think FR means Friar, so we're just going to stick with that. Friar Richard Rohr, because it can't be Father Richard. Oh, you know what? Let's just get him on the phone and get this cleared up right away, please. Richard, is it is it Friar Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr? <laughs> I would prefer the Friar. Uh, the okay. Father thing came later, and... Uh, it's not necessary, but okay. thank you. All right. <laughs> well, Richard is a globally recognized ecumenical teacher bearing witness to the universal awakening within Christian mysticism in the perennial tradition. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, uh, uh, which part, the mystical tradition or the perennial tradition? Yes. Uh, both, both. I, uh, by mystical, I know people use that word in many different ways, but I mean experiential knowledge of God. It, not just creed knowledge or church knowledge or uh, memorized knowledge, but experiential knowledge. By perennial tradition, I mean the truth that already begins to emerge in what we call the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament, then is continued in the New Testament, then in the tradition. If it's true, it's going to keep recurring. It can't just be spoken once. It's going to be spoken in different ages, different cultures, because it's one God revealing the same self. You um, and Oprah are pals. True story? Well, I wouldn't say pals. We got along well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We did. We connected personally, and uh, uh, I enjoyed talking to her very much. She deserves her reputation, I think. Well, what about Rob Bell? Have you hung out much with him? Well, I did something with him in uh, Laguna Beach just last month. You went surfing I, You went surfing with Rob Bell? That's a pretty cool no, friar. No, I, I'm too old. I'm okay. 72. I, oh, okay. can't, I can't go surfing. But uh, we did a conference together, which was a nice Catholic evangelical dialogue. And, uh, you know, I think it uh, appealed to, to both groups in different ways. So uh, I hope so, anyway. Now, earlier in the show, we were talking about that self-emulating Tibetan monk last week who set herself on fire, calling out for the Dalai Lama to return. Wow. Um, you know, I hadn't heard about that, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've had, you've had some dealings with the Dalai Lama as well, correct? Yes. We, uh, uh, there was a festival of faith last year in Louisville uh, where uh, the Dalai Lama chose to come to Louisville because they have a, it's a rather enlightened city in terms of the leadership of the city, partially influenced by Thomas Merton, believe it or not, the monk down the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, they together declared Louisville to be a city of compassion. And they asked every institution, the schools, the bus system, uh, the police system, to all make one concrete decision whereby they could be a more compassionate institution, organization. And that so impressed the Dalai Lama 
that he came there, and then I was invited to be the Christian respondent uh, to his remarks. Wow, the Christian respondent to his remarks. That sounds like something you used, you could get beat up for in school. I don't know. A, um, well, yeah, I think we connected well, though. It was good. I, I would like to just, again, maybe get you to summarize some of these things that you're on about, if you don't mind. Uh, sure, so, I'll do the best I can. So let's start with Scripture as Liberation. All right. Um, you got to help me. I'm like, listen, I played hockey. I used to rodeo. I've hit my head a number of times. I don't understand this stuff. And yet the people that I respect spiritually around me, everyone says, you got to check out this guy. You got to, you got to listen to the, Richard Rohr. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> well, you got to get his books. That, and then we got to talk about the Enneagram later. We've got a lot to discuss here. So will you help just a dopey male Canadian guy figure out this stuff? All right, so what do you want to start with? Not that I'm going to be the answer man, but I'll, I'll give you the only answers I know. Well, what does Scripture's liberation mean? Well, you know, by and large, if we look at the history of, of Christianity, it's been in great part used to uh, validate the status quo. Uh, you know, beginning with our alignment with Constantine in the 4th century, pretty much the Catholic Church aligned itself with power and money and war. Now, it didn't know it was doing that. It was probably the only choice it had for survival. But uh, in many ways, the Protestant Reformation did not reform that. It, it uh, didn't really attach itself immediately to the things Jesus attached to, concern for the outsider, the poor. That's what we mean by liberation, where you're not concerned about maintaining the present, but critiquing the present, along with uh, finding God's presence inside of it, which is the only way you can be liberated from it, I think. So, um, you know, uh, at least in the Catholic Church, this has become a very important re-understanding of Scripture for us, that starting with the liberation of the Jewish people and what they call the Exodus. It begins with an act of liberation from slavery. And that becomes the metaphor all the way through, uh, including Jesus' healing ministry and so forth. So that's very quick, but I hope that's helpful. Okay, I want to, um, at the risk of annoying our listeners who have listened to me drone on about my personal spiritual bankruptcy over the last number of years, I just want to bring this home and make it a little more personal. You're a guy, I'm a guy. I think the guys on the most... On, on, on the just a sort of on an average um, don't get spiritual contemplation as easy as women may would you agree with that or disagree you know that's why I, I 15 years ago started giving these male initiation rites up here in northern New Mexico they've now spread uh, 13 different regions of the world for that very reason that uh, and if you look at the gospels we see that Jesus is always telling the men, as it were, to come down. You know, uh, why do you want to sit at the right and the left hand, uh, or whatever it is? Because the male instinct is to climb, hmm. to perform, to achieve, to prove, to compete. And so the, you're, you're absolutely right. The gospel message of the way of the cross, if we're going to use our New Testament phrase, it comes with much greater difficulty to the male. So, 
over the years, uh, I have tried to to be still and be quiet, and I've I've, I even went blind for a week. I put, for the last week of Lent a few years ago, I put uh, contact lenses in my eyes that took away my vision. So I went blind for an entire week. Uh, I have gone to silent retreats and wanted to put a bullet in my head. Uh, It is... (laughs) You know, I've done all this stuff, man, and I just don't get it. I mean, even just praying, my mind wanders ridiculously far. And when we talk about spiritual disciplines and reading the Bible and praying and meditating and blah, 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 I mean, I just, I don't, I've tried all that stuff, uh, Richard, and they don't, they don't cut it. Well, you were raised in Western activist uh, externalized Christianity, which is true. I mean, you're a product of, of the Western Church. Mm. It, it was much more the Eastern fathers, the desert fathers and mothers, who developed the inner life. They were more introverted, we were more extroverted, and both have their strengths and weaknesses. But this is an example. A Protestantism doesn't want to admit it, but it's a child of Catholicism. <laughs> and what I mean by that, it reflects the Western biases. When the two empires, I'm sad to say, mutually excommunicated one another in 1054, the Pope uh, excommunicated the uh, Patriarch of Constantinople and vice versa, we basically stopped learning from one another. You can say the body of Christ cut in two. Now, to jump to your very issue, the contemplative mind the seeking of inner rest, inner freedom, uh, has not been developed in the West. So don't feel like you're stupid or behind. Uh, You're probably pretty typical. So it almost seems like a new gospel. But when we see Jesus himself going into the desert for 40 days, I mean, what do you think he's doing? (laughs) This is a combination of initiation and going into the deeper places of the soul. That's why he could come out knowing he was a beloved son. Uh, the message becomes clear and, and definitive in that kind of solitude and silence. But again, don't feel like you're a lost Christian or you don't love Jesus if, if that's still hard for you. Well, listen, uh, but, but I'm, already, look, I'm way past that. I'm at the point now, Richard, where I'm not convinced that there is a God. I'm not an atheist. I'm not saying there is no God. Uh, you know, Tony Campolo always gets up my nose and makes me define who, what I think and what I believe, and I finally get to get him to shut up. I've said, uh, I'm a red-letter agnostic theist. Okay. Well, see, now I'd make a connection that when if the inner world is that difficult for you, I guess I'd say no wonder God is unreal for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a connection between the two statements you just made but if but you you're saying to me humility to recognize it. Go yeah, ahead. But no but you're saying to me dude you i don't know whether you call me dude or not but uh, dude you you just need to shut up go to sit on some mountain somewhere and uh and, oh. and do some ohms and and, and, and oh. focus on scripture and just say the word you know tony compose just say the word jesus you know continuously for an hour and and stuff will happen you know, oh man, I don't want I don't want to just brainwash myself because what you're saying is take material, take take um uh content and repetitively jam it into your head. 
And and any organization, any school, any educational system, any cult does the same thing. I want to base it on truth. I but, uh, but I didn't tell you to repeat something or jam it into your head. I would say just the opposite, that the solitude and silence that we teach in contemplation is is unlearning, much more than learning, opening up the inner space so God can speak to you. Huh. But uh, I'm, what you're talking about is nothing more than conditioning. And, yeah, yeah, that's right, tribal, yeah, tribal conditioning. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean that at all. Uh, so... Wow. I really, I really, no, as soon as I hear the word monk, you know, friar, yeah, uh, yeah. France, Franciscan friar, I know, I know there's some good, mo- by the way, how happy are you with Pope Francis? Oh my goodness. Well, I have to pinch myself every day that I've lived to see this man. He's, he's too good to be true. Really. I, yeah, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Something's going to go down, man. He's amazing, yeah. He's, he's going to get a parking ticket soon, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, apparently the most singularly popular person in the world today, beyond the lines of religion. Yeah. Um, He just doesn't exhibit the usual prejudices of religious people. It's amazing. Now, speaking of popular, you, my friend, are not popular with everyone. Did you you know that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded very German when you said that. Um, <laughs> well, I am, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, I'm American, but German background. So, uh, uh, apparently, uh, I'm going through the, you know, the ever-so-truthful Wikipedia page on you. You assert that the crucifixion of Jesus is not necessary for the redemption of mankind. <gasps> the Franciscans never believed in the substitutionary atonement theory. Now, be subtle here. I would give an importance to Jesus maybe higher than many evangelicals would. But we don't believe it was a transaction, and you used the right word, necessary. I believe Jesus was a gift, not a necessity. So just make that subtle distinction, but it changes everything, you know, that God wasn't a pissed-off God who didn't naturally love his creatures, uh, but needed to be talked into it. And starting already in the 13th century, we were the minority position in the Catholic Church, and we were not called heretics. This is an orthodox position. But this would be again an example, if you don't mind me saying it, of where Protestantism thought it reformed Catholicism, and it did in some ways, but in its mainline positions, it imitated our mainline positions. <laughs> and that would be one of them, the, uh, that Jesus died for our sins. No, Jesus gave himself to reveal the eternal heart of God. But don't make it a transaction. Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah. A necessary transaction, that that God needed a payoff. Uh, I I find that very limited theology. Why would anybody be bugged at the fact that you assert that God is neither male nor female? Who thinks thinks any any more that God is male or female? This is a a corollary of what we were saying earlier. The Western Church doesn't go inside. It just mouths cliches. And, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with using the the masculine pronoun for God. Now, the masculine pronoun certainly does apply to Jesus. He did come in a male body, it seems. But, I mean, already in the early Desert Fathers, the first three centuries of the Church— 
it's very clear that they understand God in God's essence is neither male nor female. That's obvious. <laughs> That's pulling God into our little anthropocentric worldview of gender. Whoa, way too, way too many, way too many syllables, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to say a lot in a short time. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, okay, uh, on the phone with Franciscan friar and author Richard Rohr, we've got to talk about this Enneagram thing, because... Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, with some people in their ears, that they, they might, that might, it kind of sounds like you're in witchcraft in some kind of, you know, spooky. Yeah, I know. Here's a spooky inability nonsense. to think. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, I know, like so many Christians turn off their brain. Jesus did say to love the Lord your God with your whole mind. Right. And I don't think you can lead with your mind. In fact, teaching contemplation, I, I try to teach people how to bring their mind down into their heart. But that doesn't mean you throw out the mind. Yeah. So the Enneagram, its earliest formulations are in a father of the church, a Syrian deacon called Evagrius Ponticus, 4th century, who says there are eight passions, that was his word, he used, uh, blindnesses that keep us from prayer. And this morphs and is refined and is, emerges eventually into the seven capital sins. They forgot one of them. Uh, and eventually the Enneagram, which has nine capital sins, if you will. So I've known this for 40 years now. I learned it in 1973, and it's helped me help many people uh, meet God at a much deeper level. Okay. So it has nothing to do with... Uh, paganism or, or whatever okay but you, you got to give us are. you got to give us an example because this is a this is a picture this is a graphic in many ways so get, help our listeners understand practically uh, what this any you know christian enneagram thing how is it going to impact my life for example you know most people can't see what they can't see jesus says why do you see the the uh, log in your brother's eye and you can't see the splinter in your own that's all this is unpackaging, is helping people see the splinter in their own eye. Uh, shadow work, Carl Jung would probably call it. And if we look at Christian history, Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox, we haven't been very good at seeing our own shadow at all. We're always seeing somebody else's the problem instead of ourselves. What the Enneagram does is puts your feet to the fire, to face your own blindnesses. And we all look at the world through one compulsive set of glasses. And those are called the nine blindnesses, if you will. Also the nine gifts. Uh, but I don't have time to teach you the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping to get a free course here. That's <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the only people who don't think the anagram is true are people who don't know it. Once you know it, it is so obvious it's allowed me to save marriages, to save relationships, to reform communities, to help them to see things they just, for the most part, are blind to. Can they still buy your book? Well, yeah, I guess it's on Amazon. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. I mean, because it's been out a while, man. You've been doing this oh, for Oh, yeah, I was one of the first, I'm afraid, by a set of accidents. I learned it very early yeah. in 1973. Yeah. What does a Franciscan friar do on the weekends? I mean, I, I, we know what you do on Sunday, but what do you do Friday night, man? Well, uh, you know what I just did this morning? I was 
steam cleaning my carpet here in my little hermitage. It, it was getting pretty dirty, and that gave me some good exercise. I have a garden. Uh, so, you know, Francis wanted us to be blue-collar ministers, not white-collar. Yep. He saw the tremendous problem of clergy leaping up three stages in social class and social comfort. And he felt that very much corrupted our, uh, our reading of the gospel, our even ability to understand the gospel. So he wanted us to remain connected to, to ordinary people, to the people on the edge, and to physical work. Do you play cards? No, I, I, my parents did. Uh, and we did a few times in the seminary, but I never joined the group too much. Scrabble? I used to play that a lot, yeah. Okay, but uh, used to, and I don't, and what do you do, man? you got to have some fun. <laughs> uh, well, the gardening would be the first thing. I have a little vegetable flower garden. Yeah. I'm looking out at it right now from my window. And you don't, I, you don't I, have an Xbox or anything like that, do you? No. No, uh, no. no. I mean, I have a television, though. Don't make me sound heroic. I'm not. Right. You know, I'm, do you I'm have a favorite confident. television show? A favorite television show. Yeah. You know, I, I primarily watch public television. Uh, and and History Channel, would, those would probably so, be the two favorites. So not American Idol, Big Brother, Criminal no, Minds? And, uh, no. No. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those, but... Again, remember, I'm I'm 72. Your interests just change as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. Do you drink? And, uh, oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as you know, Catholics have never answer. had this Protestant guilt about drinking. We no. probably should have. Yeah, you, know? you may, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you don't, and uh, again, my parents were German farmers from oh. Kansas. Drinking beer was just uh, like drinking water sure. with a meal. Sure, But you did it responsibly. I never knew an alcoholic in my entire huge extended family because wow. we grew up learning how to, uh, you know. Do you, wear, do you wear the robes? Yeah, the, the, the... Uh, yeah I will tomorrow morning. Like, right. I'll have the mass here at the uh, parish. I'm looking across the big parking lot. At now, the parish church. Now, don't take now, this. Don't take this the wrong way. This is very you, important. I don't want to hurt my feelings. Okay. <laughs> what do you wear under the robes? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just underwear like you were in a t-shirt. Yeah, that's all. Now, okay. some guys do wear a full pair of pants. Oh, uh, hot. But uh, yeah, exactly. And here in New Mexico, you know, we get fairly warm, <laughs> so I just wear underwear. It's very nice and breezy. Have you, but you don't. Uh, does anybody go commando? Nobody goes commando, right? What does that mean naked? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe some <laughs> do. I, I would doubt it. I think most would probably wear some form of undergarment. <laughs> Listen, I think I'll have to check. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can we do a survey, please? <laughs> Uh, no, because I think, look, I was just in Bermuda, and there's a whole lot of li nice little private beaches and stuff, and, and I, I, I got to be honest, I, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but I don't really care. I love getting butt naked. I just yeah. think it's a fantastic feeling out in the, in the ocean, and it's just a great feeling. And I think, you know, if we were born naked, and if, the, if humanity was born naked, there's a, there's, a, there's a primal call to get back to it. Uh, you know, it's I don't know. I can't if believe I'm having this conversation with you. Sorry. As bad as Mex as Americans, but uh, I know when I've gone to Europe, the Europeans make fun of the prudishness yes. yeah. of Americans. Yeah. 
that, as you just said, nudity is is much more accepted, common, ordinary. Uh, It almost makes it overly sexualized in our country because it's so extraordinary, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, so I think you're right, and and the people are shocked by this. Is that's what's shocking? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I agree with you. I I mean I know nudist myself, but <laughs> I, I certainly am not uh, surprised, shocked, or disappointed. I really wish you'd said that you were, because that would have been breaking news here on the Drew Marshall Show. <laughs> Franciscan Friar Richard Rohr, nudist. <laughs> Well, uh, my age, my body isn't much to show no, off. No, that's right, yeah. Uh, good point. Listen, what a fun conversation, and I just want to remind everyone, here's a website you'll want to check out. It's CAC.org, CAC.org. Center for Action and Contemplation. That's what it's short for. Yeah, if, if you have not been intrigued by this interview uh, with when it comes to Richard Rohr, I don't know what will intrigue you. This has just been a, <laughs> such a fun time. And, and it's far too short. If you wouldn't mind, if you haven't been too offended, I'd love to have you back again and talk about some real stuff. Well, just let me know ahead of time, and we'll work it out. Thank you, sir. I do appreciate right. it. God bless you, brother. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. the asthmatic in charismatic you're listening to canada's most listened to spiritual talk show to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. (laughs) Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But if you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing? Except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith. To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca. It's hard to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. (laughs) Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But if you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing? Except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith. To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca. (laughs) 